Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the marvellous Jeff Weingarten. We are focusing on navigating the job market post-PhD, but actually we also get into talking about the stories that we tell ourselves about the careers that we want or the sort of lives that we want to live And we also talk about the significance of endings and how actually they are really always new beginnings. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Jeff. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. I've been very much looking forward to talking to you. Um, Just reading, you write so beautifully and um, (laughs) this article that I know we're going to talk about in a minute, I just, it was fantastic to read and I am really looking forward to hearing you talk more about it. Um, But first of all, I always ask people about their own journey through the PhD and on. So can you tell us a little bit about about how it was for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and again, thank you so much for inviting me to be here and chat with you. And um, yeah, I, I was, uh, I mean, my PhD was a very, for me, I, I think probably the most important like development developmental period of my life thus far, that it was, uh, it was such a trying difficult time in a lot of ways, as, as it is, I think, for most people. Mm. Uh, I, I had a really hard time in my undergrad finding my academic footing. And then by the time I did, it felt like my undergrad was over. And then I was in my master's at McGill. And all of a sudden, I'd gone from feeling like a kind of a big fish, you know, in in undergrad to feeling very, very, very small in my master's. And then that process kind of repeated again, you know, that I'd done the master's, I felt much stronger and more confident by the end of that program, and then felt uh, microscopic by the time Mm. I started the PhD. And I think that's a pretty common feeling, but it feels like it's only your feeling when you feel it, that Mm. you feel like Mm. everyone else is big and you're so small. Mm. And, And so, I really grappled a lot with feelings of being a fraud, feelings of being, you know, an imposter, that that very common, typical thing that I think we all go through. Mm. Um, But I also think that when you are, you know, 21, 22, 23, embarking on a PhD or master's, four years feels, four or five years feels like a very long, long time until it's not. Right. And you find yourself in year three or year four wondering, oh, my God, what am I going to do when this is over? Mm. And so I, in 2012, that was the I defended my dissertation in 2013. And so about a year and a half before that, in early 2012, I, I had had what I would say was some kind of a breakdown where I decided, and I think it was in January or February, maybe a bit of both, and I had sort of just backed off and and said to my supervisor, like, I really need a month to figure out what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think 
for a long time, again, like starting the PhD, I thought that the end of the PhD would be this kind of inspiring moment of relief that like I had achieved something, but actually what it was doing was inspiring tremendous anxiety and fear. And there were lots of other things going on at that time. I mean, it was a perfect storm, things that my family hadn't been very great. And, you know, I felt very isolated during the PhD. I always sort of look back and realize that I think the thing that was most surprising about doing the PhD was how lonely it could feel. Mm, mm. Um, and so by the end of the P- PhD in that, you know, 2012 uh, around there that I was feeling like um, I was on the brink of some kind of complete collapse. And that was a really, really difficult time for me. It was tremendously difficult. And, and I felt a tremendous amount of fear. I remember feeling afraid to even open a book again uh, because my, my PhD was in English lit. And mm. I remembered thinking during that time, what if I open a book and I don't like it and I feel nothing about it and then I can't finish my PhD? It was not a very logical thought, obviously, mm. but it was mm. something I felt very deeply at that time. Yes, yes. And <laughs> so I was really, really trying at that time to find some perspective on the experience that would allow me to keep going. I really felt like I was at a make or break that either Mm. I had to stop doing this or I had to better understand why I was doing the PhD. Mm. Um, And so I would say that around that time, because of just some, you know, some time in therapy, some time with myself, some time reading as well, and time with friends who are very supportive. I I really came to three three essential like for me life saving realizations that got me to the end of that that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and one was that uh, it was so easy to say how meaningless my research was. Uh, I think we all at some point say like no one cares. Why bother? Two people will read my paper and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and I. I I remember uh, being at a wedding around that time and someone came up to me who was a lawyer and said, or in law school, I should say, and had said, oh, you're doing a PhD in English. Oh God, I wish I'd done my PhD in English instead of going to law school. And I thought it was so funny because everyone I talked to always had said like, oh, I wish I'd gone to law school instead of doing my PhD in literature. And it became this thing that, you know, no one has it easy. Everyone struggles in their given field the grass is always greener elsewhere but also that anything we can label as meaningless if if we have it in us we can also label it meaningful and i mm. was trying to think like if i had to find out what was meaningful about my work what was it and and it was that i loved doing it and mm. that was a good enough reason to mm. keep doing it mm. uh even if no one read it even if it didn't get me a job it didn't matter to me anymore as long as I could say that it meant something to me personally. And it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the, 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 the two other major realizations. I mean, one is just a line from a Phil Hall poem that I read shortly after this period where he had said, clarity isn't pure. Uh, clarity is intricate. And mm-hmm. for me, what that really meant was that if you see things as uncertain, chaotic and complex, then you're probably seeing them for what they really are. It would be delusional to pretend that this wasn't a difficult time or shouldn't be a difficult time or that I I thought there was something wrong with me that I felt so, you know, uh, like that I felt like I was struggling so much. But Mm. looking back, actually, it makes perfect sense. I I should have been struggling and I should have been embracing that as 
as, you know, in the same way that you have a cough when you're sick, you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um, I was having anxiety because I was in a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And, And I think really coming to terms with that and realizing that the anxiety was actually me seeing an unsettled moment in my life as unsettled, mm. it, it made up much more tolerable. And and you and I had had a conversation before this where I just said that I, I was beginning to realize I didn't have to be happy to be fulfilled. And that sometimes doing what really matters makes us a little bit unhappy sometimes or stresses us out. Um, mm. and, and so those were three things I really came to realize that um, I could make it meaningful that uh, I seeing it for what it was meant sometimes not feeling great and that not being happy didn't mean I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And and those three things made it tolerable. I saw it through to the end. It was uh, for me an incredible moment to defend it and to defend that dissertation. And then I had a lot of luck after that, that I landed a postdoc, I landed a job that was one, a three-year contract, and then I landed a full-time position. Um, it all looks very smooth in retrospect, but at the time I had no idea what was coming next. (laughs) Wow. What a journey. What a journey. And just such beautiful reflection on that. And I think because as you say, the the, the PhD is, it's a, it's a transformational time and, Mm -hmm. and in all, as in all good rites of passage, it can unsettle, um, Mm -hmm. and open up realizations, um, and as you say, often too, as in your story, there are other things going on as well at the same time, and that can make things m- more difficult. And I think also coming towards the ends, you know, us therapists, we love we love endings and dealing with endings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sense of because, of course, endings always have their own currency, and um, mm-hmm. coming towards the end of your PhD that has a currency to it and it may bring up other endings that you have been um, through. It may bring up particular anxieties about crossing thresholds into new things. So I I think that um, those thoughts that you have around there about meaning and happiness and that that, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, And also on, on just on what you're saying there, that I think we also assign so much weight and meaning to an ending. Mm. Uh, I, I'd given a paper a couple of years ago on the importance of uh, understanding and appreciating process. Mm. And uh, when my, my first book came out uh, in 2019 and uh, you know, I got the box with all the, you know, author's copies and it was, it was really, really fun. It was exciting. And, you know, my wife and I opened it and my, you know, my, my daughter was about a year old at that point and was with me opening it. And, and it was a really, you know, wonderful, beautiful experience. And, And it was funny because my wife had said, you know, how does it feel to hold the book in your hands? And I had said, you know what, after six months of proofs, uh, two years of revisions and peer reviews, five years of writing and research and a whole PhD behind that. It was, it was just one more moment that was very, very nice. But so were all of those other little moments. Like in some ways getting the book contract was a more exciting and, you know, a bigger moment for me. So I think we sometimes assign so much meaning to the last step in a process, but, but I mean, is that first of all, that wasn't the last step because there's still book reviews. There are people that like you that invite me to come and talk, uh, you know, and about what I do and what I've written. And, 
And so you never really know where the beginning and end of a project is or a, or a phase of your life where it really does begin or end. And, and so sometimes I think we, we get really wrapped up in thinking about endings without maybe seeing things in a little more of a contiguous way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that sense, of course, of this being in on a journey or whatever metaphor you want to work with, but that sense of, like you say, of of continuation and that that endings and beginnings are wrapped up in each other in a really beautiful way. Um, Mm. And actually, yeah, to find ways through that, um, see the invitation in each moment Mm -hmm. is... um, is is where we're all heading for hoping for <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I, I i really hope so <laughs> um so now i want to quiz you about this beautiful piece of writing mm. so it's it um tell yourself a different story is is the is the title and it's about surviving the job market and um we've we've touched on there on endings and coming towards the end of the phd and i know there there will be people listening who are in that position and wondering what comes next the next Mm -hmm. step on this continual journey um so Tell tell us about that um, that reflection and that uh, that thinking process that was in that piece of writing. Yeah, that uh, it, it's funny because in some ways that piece, which I wrote fairly quickly under pressure uh, <laughs> to, to present it at a conference, uh, but it was germinating in in the back of my head for a very long time. Um, Partly because I think the PhD is is a process that requires you to become very adaptive very quickly. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly be learning to deal with uh, a lot of new environments, new situations, new people, new classes, new responsibilities, and and also just movement. You could be moving cities, you could be moving jobs. There there's so many shifts and transitions, and and so getting too hung up on one ideal path to follow. I say in the, in the essay that destiny is a narrative bear trap that, you know, you, you are really just harming yourself by believing that there's only one way things can go. And I, I really realized that, um, my friend Kate, uh, one of my best friends and one of the people who kept me alive during the PhD, uh, Kate had said to me once, uh, Dr. Kate Pinder had said to me once that, uh, you know, it was important to be able to just tell myself a different story about, uh, it was at that time I was talking, thinking about a relationship that I had sort of thought was going to go one way and then went another and ended. And and she had said, then you just have to kind of tell yourself a different story about that relationship and what it was and what it means. And, and that had really stuck with me that she had said that. And, and I thought about that in t- as time went on a bit more in terms of my career. And um, in 2014, I was teaching at Concordia University and a group of students had asked me, you know, at the end of the year, can you tell us a bunch of personal stories about yourself? <laughs> uh, they, they, they'd, I mean, I think they had just been fascinated that I was, you know, I was a relatively young prof. They wanted to know like more about me. And I'd said, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, it, I think the exact request had been an anonymous email that it's had been something in the vein of like, tell us something hilarious about yourself. 
And I, oh, they? <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I actually gave it some, you know, I entertained the, the idea, I gave it some thought and then I decided, no, you know what, actually what I think would be most useful at the end of this year is if I tell them 10 things I wish I had known upon starting an undergrad uh, that no one had ever shared with me. And so one of them was that, that statement, you know, come up with a different story, uh, come up with different versions of where things will go. Um, and so that sat in my head from, you know, 2014 onward. And there was a grad student who I'd shared the talk, uh, the, had shared that lecture with, and she invited me then to give a talk. This is now two or three years after that, um, at a, an annual conference that's held by uh, Acute, uh, one of the Canadian organization. And the, the, the panel was on surviving the job markets. And, and so I'd use that as kind of the, the the cornerstone of that presentation to really say that surviving a job market doesn't mean you get exactly what you think you're going to get. So that surviving the job market is something anyone can do as long as you understand that surviving the job market means you might not be an academic. Maybe you will survive the job market by going into business, going into real estate, going into different directions, but still making use of all the incredible skills that you developed during your PhD, time management, independent work, uh, team leading, uh, team leadership and team leading uh, in, in various contexts, public speaking. There, there's so many transferable skills that a person develops during their PhD that they pay no attention to. They're so focused on their little corner of the world that they research and write about for five years that they don't really think about all of the other things they have that boil down to, you know, very human skills like empathy and communication that are very much missed in many fields and industries. And, and I don't think I really appreciated that until I was on the job market realizing that if academia doesn't work out, there are a lot of other places where what I can do as, uh, as a professional uh, will be useful and, and valued. Absolutely. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see PhD students not valuing themselves, not valuing the amazing skills they have, organisational skills, mm -hmm. listening skills, like, you know, mm -hmm. I go on and on and on. Um, so, yes, I think the, the, this your article reminds us really eloquently of that. Um and what, I, I, we keep going on about the article. It's, this is not a teaser. It will be in the show notes so that you'll be able to kind of go read that um, and enjoy it. Um, so this sense of telling yourself a different story, being open to possibilities. And we, we always finish with um, a top tip. Mm. So... Um, you you said that you'd had 10 top tips <laughs> so but um <laughs> we, we we might we might have the top the top one or two or three sure um you know what maybe what i'll do is is elaborate a bit on something that i think is um how about this? Anyone that's listening can email me for all of the tips. Um, <laughs> but but what I will talk about is uh, what I think is really underlying that that blog post that you're going to share as well, which is that I, I really think that something we don't offer PhD students enough, uh, we don't offer them options. There there is I say this in in the blog post that there is one model of success that is modeled for them. And that is their supervisor. 
uh, or their colleagues. And everyone that I knew in my PhD was tier one university tenure track. That was the goal. And everyone was going to change their field. And, and we were all living with that, that, that hope. And, and that's completely fine. I mean, I, I, I think it's an important thing to, to be aiming high. Uh, I think though that like there needs to be some openness to adapting that dream. And so what's underpinning that, that blog post is that I, I think people need to be adaptive as PhD uh, graduates. Uh, and what I mean by that is not that you let some situation be thrust upon you where you adapt to it. That's important, but that's not what I mean. I mean that you try as much as possible to keep one hand on the wheel of your fate so that you're not cornered into changing paths. Mm-hmm that there is some foresight about what you are or are not willing to do or put up with to continue this career. Um, I I knew that when I had turned 30, that I'd said to myself that I was going to do two years of part-time work. And if I couldn't get a full-time job after that, then I knew I had to quit. Um, That meant I was going to go and do other things because I wanted financial stability. I wanted a family. I wanted to live in one place <laughs> and know I was living there. Yeah. And, and so I think that foresight is a big part of what I'm, I'm pushing for in the blog post. And, and so if I was going to give a tip, I mean, it's, it's just to be open to understanding, you know, what are your limits uh, as a professional in the path you've chosen? Um, there's a book by David Epstein, Epstein that I would highly recommend called Range, and his point is that is twofold purpose here. One is the book is entirely about the benefits of working in one field and then switching to another uh, and how incredibly valuable those experiences become uh, of, you know, having a wide range of experience and a wide range of expertise and arranged knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he ends one of his chapters with this, which has always really stuck with me since I read the book. Uh, no one in the right mind would argue that passion and perseverance are unimportant or that a bad day is a cue to quit. But the idea that a change of interest or a recalibration of focus is an imperfection leads to a one-size-fits-all story. Pick and stick as soon as possible. Responding to lived experience with a change of direction, like Van Gogh did uh, habitually, is less tidy but no less important. And and I I love that line. Yes. Um, I think it's it's seen as a sign of weakness if we switch programs, if we stop doing our program, if we reevaluate why we're doing our program, or we switch topics, or supervisors, or, or any number of things, uh, careers. And and really, I think we have to be responding to our lived experience. And I think that that's maybe the main thing I would ask ask viewers uh, listeners here to take away. That is so gorgeous. No, and this week, in fact, I had a student um, talking to a student who, you know, wanted to make a change, and just kind of saying to her, "This is because this isn't failure. This is mm-hmm. you responding to the situation and being alive and thinking and making mm-hmm. decisions." And so, absolutely, absolutely, here, here. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much. I was really looking forward to this conversation and it did not disappoint. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I know this is going to be useful to, to um, so many people. Um, 
on so many levels. Thank you so much for really sharing from your heart. That was really powerful. Um, so thank you so much. Don't forget, um, people, that you can sign up for the newsletter too, because every week I was trying to put a little bit of extra information in there, but there will be the links um, in the show notes too. Thank you so much, Jeff. Oh, thank you. And um, take care.